MSW Media. Hi, I'm Jackie Marling, and you're listening to What We're Drinking with my old pal Dan Dunn. You're in a good place. Get comfortable and listen. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. But this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Dan Dunn. In just a few moments, I'm going to be speaking to a legend, a legendary man of funny. Goes by the name of Jackie the Joke Man Martling. You know him from the Howard Stern Show and tours and books and everything. Albums. I think Jackie still does albums. He's old school. So I'm going to be talking to him in a bit. I love that guy. I'm very excited. But right now, with me back, our returning champion was on just a few weeks ago, and she's back, one of the finest mixological maestros in Los Angeles area, Una Green. Hi. Hello. Hello, Dan. How are you? Thanks for having me again. Thanks for being here with us. It's good to see you. Anything happening out there in the world of LA? But you're always out on the scene. Yes. Anything new and exciting to tell us about? Yeah, I mean, well, the other day we had the Frenet Bronca games um, the other night, and that was really incredible. I got to judge that competition with a couple of other amazing folks in our industry, and uh, there were about 10 teams from all over the city. Uh, It was a lot of fun. It was loud, lively, you know. Um, and the Mermaid Bar from downtown took it home, so they'll be uh, When you say downtown... You mean downtown Los Angeles, correct? Yes. People are listening to this show all over the world. True. Is it downtown Gary, Indiana? Is it downtown (laughs) Detroit, Michigan? No. Downtown Los Angeles. Well, that sounds exciting. It was. It was a lot of fun. Speaking of exciting, uh, right before I came on the air, I wanted to share this with you. Big news. I got an email. Check this out. It says, dear friend, right away, you know, this is, It's not, you know, dear sir, it's dear friend. I assume you and your family are in good health. I am the foreign operations manager on leading generation bank, forgot the S, here in West Africa. You ever got an email like this, Una? Mm, That's exciting. I have. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) So it it turns out, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it turns out, uh, well, actually, I should read it. Wait, because, are you like an heir to well, uh, no, some fortune? No, even better. This being a wide world in which it can be difficult to make new acquaintances, and because it is virtually impossible to know who is trustworthy. Wouldn't you agree? I, I agree right there. Uh, and who can be believed? I have decided to repose confidence in you after much fasting and prayer. So this guy fasted and prayed. And and all of this fasting and praying led him to the determination that I, and I alone, am trustworthy. 
right? Mm -hmm. So it's only because of this that I have decided to confide in you and to share with you this confidential business. In my bank, there resides an overdue and unclaimed sum of, drum roll, $18 million. What? United State dollars, not United States dollars, United State dollars. So apparently the account holder suddenly passed on and left no beneficiary who would be entitled to the receipt of this fund. So for this reason, I have found it expedient to transfer this fund to a trustworthy individual with capacity to act as foreign business partner. Thus, I humbly request your assistance to claim this fund, yours faithful, yours faithful, Mr. Clen. Wait a minute. Clen? No. With a this, C? This is my favorite. His name is Mr. Ken, <laughs> Mr. Ken Fleckenstein. <laughs> What? Mr. Clen Mr. Ken Fleckenstein. <laughs> Mr. Fleckenstein. That's the reason I read the whole thing. I mean, I know we've all gotten these before, but it's just the name was great. Because usually it's like some they would at least try to feign he says from West Africa. No, no. They were like, what does a Jewish banker in America sound like? Let's go there. This sounds like a money guy. Ken Fleckenstein. <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad. Uh, it's like, yeah. The casual anti-Semitism is uh, just the capper on the, uh, on the email yeah. there. Ken Fleckenstein, everybody. Andy fasted and prayed. Prayed on it. Ken Fleckenstein. To find does. you. Well, that's, yeah. you know, he's known for that. Anyway, I'm going to probably... <laughs> I'm not going to do this. Now, I will say something that brings me uh, comfort when I want to talk to you about it. I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm a big fan of goldfish. Mm. You know, goldfish, the, the snack item? Yeah, who isn't? It's delicious. I ate a whole bag last night. I'm not kidding. Got a little tipsy. Was at an event. Yeah. Got a little tipsy, came home. And then I woke up this morning. I was like, what's all this crunchiness in my bed? And it was the leftover goldfish that didn't quite make it to my mouth yeah. while I was eating. It's all bed. over your sheets. Oh, it's the best. But <laughs> I, I was, I, so I actually started thinking about goldfish, right? And why do I love them so much beyond the, uh, the flavor, of course. And here's what it is. I grew up, I had a bit of a rough childhood. I didn't, you know, I lived in a, a tough area of Philly. Everybody knows, I've talked about this on the show. And I remember as a child, I would look at the goldfish package and it's Pepperidge Farm, all right? Mm -hmm. Pepperidge Farm makes goldfish and I wanted to live on Pepperidge Farm. <laughs> I would look at the thing and I'd think, oh man, that looks like the most awesome place, Pepperidge Farm. So yeah. I did a little, uh, I, I know it's, it's, it's sad, isn't it? It's kind of a sad story, but um, that, that was what I dreamed about as a child, living on Pepperidge Farm. And so I actually looked it up. I wanted to know because I never had bothered to really get the history. So Pepperidge Farm was founded in 1937 by a woman named Margaret Rudkin. And she named this after her family's 123-acre farm in Fairfield, Connecticut. And mm. that farm was named after a tree that was there called the Pepperidge Tree. Oh. Do you have any I idea? No idea. No idea. No, I yeah. had no idea about the history of Pepperidge Farm. I didn't either. I love their products, though. So she started doing this because back in 1937, her youngest son had asthma and was allergic to most of the commercially processed foods. So she started making this and this doctor was like, man, you make the best bread. And he started recommending it that she sell it around. And then 
her husband worked on Wall Street and he started taking it with him into New York and selling this bread in specialty stores. In 1947, she opened a commercial bakery in Norwalk, Connecticut, and then added places in Illinois, Pennsylvania. But she went into Europe in the 50s and she discovered these chocolate cookies that she thought would be popular in the United States. She brought them the rights to it and she started producing them. And that was the distinctive cookies line yes. that was born. Yes, yes. And then she, right after that, she created goldfish crackers and they got, and she got that from Switzerland. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, pretty, pretty. There's the history. In 1961, she sold the business to the Campbell Soup Company. Take a guess how much she sold it for in 1961. Mm. Gosh, I don't know. What, $2 mil? $28 million. Yeah. Way off. And she became the first woman to serve on the Campbell Soup Company's board of directors. She wrote a... The Pepperidge Farm Cookbook in 1963, it was the first cookbook ever to make it onto the New York Times bestseller list. And now finally, the thing that I, that I dreamed about, the place that I imagined I would live someday, that logo on the goldfish package, the Pepperidge Farm logo, is based on a grist mill in Sudbury, Massachusetts. Now you're from Massachusetts. Are you familiar with Sudbury? Am I saying that correctly? Yes, you are. I am familiar. Yep. Have you been there? Yes. It's been a long time, though, that I have been there. Did you happen to drive past the grist mill and perhaps be struck by a sense of familiarity? I mean, not that I recall, but now I want to go back and check it out since, you know, I I know all about grist mills, especially with whiskey making. (laughs) So, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's how it went. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, um, now I've just clicked on That's Goldfish cool. Crackers themselves, and they've been available mm-hmm. since 1962. 40% of the crackers contain a small imprint of an eye and a smile. Did you realize that? Not every one, just 40%. Yeah, I've noticed. I noticed that there's only like a couple of smiley faces in the packages. So I was not familiar the with best. the slogan that they had. The snack that smiles back, Goldfish. There you go. And they also came and they have like the rainbow ones now, Yeah, you know, super fun. Somehow they, they just, they still taste the same, but you know, they're all different colors. Okay. Well, super fun. Turns out Oscar J. Cambly, who worked for the Swiss biscuit manufacturer Cambly, I'm thinking he didn't just work for him. I think he owned it since his name's the same as the company. Uh, In 1958, he invented this cracker to celebrate his wife, who was a Pisces. So the fish is the symbol of the Pisces. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Margaret Rudkin bought the rights to to market them and sell them in the United States. And you mentioned the flavors. According to Wikipedia, and you can't doubt Wikipedia, Una, can you now? Never, never. You've got, these are the flavors. <laughs> Original. Also known as saltine. I was not aware of that. I know saltine crackers. I didn't know they... Okay, you have the original flavor, cheddar, whole grain cheddar, Parmesan, pretzel, pizza. Wait, they have a saltine flavor? Well, I think that's what they call... They call the original flavor saltine. I thought cheddar was the original flavor, personally. Uh, maybe. I mean, that's the only one that... It's like my favorite. And then as far as the shapes and colors... Yeah, they got the princess, which is colored pink, Mickey Mouse, 
Red crackers in the shape of Mickey's head. Megabytes bigger than the original. Huh. Lots of limited releases. By the way, is, <laughs> you think anybody that's tuning in for the first time is like, hey, man, I thought the show was about drinking. Right. Yeah. Well, Goldfish, to be fair, they make a great snack with your drinks. That's right. With any drink, really, especially probably beer, I think. But I like what you did you there. Know. I like how you brought yeah. that back around. Are you well, excited yeah. to chat with uh, Jackie the Joke Man, Martin? Oh, my God. Yes. I'm super stoked to right. talk to him. I he's just a legend and you know I love the Stern show so why don't we take a quick get a quick word from our one of our sponsors and we'll have more words later but uh and take care of our sponsors we they're good people I, nobody that's on this sh- no one that sponsors this show there's no brand that's on this show I wouldn't lay my life down for that brand Una I know. I, know. I mean, we should get Make Pepperidge Farm to sponsor the show. Oh, my God. <laughs> they don't even have to pay me. Just send goldfish. If they just yes. send me a case of goldfish a month, I would I would pimp the shit out of Pepperidge Farm goldfish. Absolutely. All right. I'm going to get on that. I'm making a note. Call Pepperidge Farm on Monday and find out if we can make make a deal. Uh, all yes. right. Well, let's uh, we'll take a quick break. Not for you, though, listeners. Just keep on listening to this word from our sponsor, and then we'll be back with Jackie, the Choke Man, Martling. Folks, you ready for some tough love? You ready to hear a hard truth? Okay, good, because I'm going to lay it on you. You can buy the finest, fanciest, most expensive spirits in the world to make craft cocktails at home, but if you use crap mixers, you're going to get crap drinks. Let's face it, whipping up cocktails at home can be an expensive hassle. That's why my fridge is always well-stocked with Fresh Victor. Fresh Victor is a line of all-natural, clean-label cocktail mixers that brings the magic of Master Mixologist into your home. All the ingredients are fair trade sourced. There's no artificial anything. The mixers are produced at a 100% solar-powered juicing plant with absolutely no waste. Fresh Victor features seven unique blends with contemporary flavors designed to suit any palate. There's delicious combos like pineapple and ginger root, which I love with little vodka, cactus pear and pineapple, which I love with little vodka, and cucumber lime i put rum in that one and right now right now fresh victor is offering a funky fresh deal to my listeners simply go to freshvictor.com fill up your shopping cart with some great mixers and at checkout enter promo code wwd20 that's what we're drinking wwd20 to get 20 percent off your order so if you order 50 dollars worth of mixers it'll only cost you 40 yeah you're welcome. Go to FreshVictor.com, fill up your shopping cart, and at checkout, enter promo code WWD20 to get 20% off your order. That's fresh. Joining us now, boy, I'm excited. Somebody, I, I've known him a long time. I haven't seen him in many, many years. He is, in my humble estimation, one of the funniest people that ever lived. Really. I mean that. I don't... There is nobody in the comedy business that has the encyclopedic mind for jokes that this man does. And on top of all that, he's a hell of a human being as well. It is great to see you, my old pal, Jackie the Joke Man Martling. How are you, buddy? Hello, Dan. And that was, uh, <clears throat> I can't even say anything rude. That was such a nice uh, nice introduction. I appreciate that. And uh, it's especially nice to meet Una. Una's very excited right now because uh, Una... Una's, Una's my co-host here today, and she uh, she has been a longtime fan. Her not only her, her her parents, fans of the Stern Show, and you're excited, well, aren't you? 
I am very much. I um, well, I will tell you like I tell everybody. Just send me your street address, and I'll send you uh, a whole bunch of jo- stuff, and I'll send you a couple books for your parents. How old are you? your parents are still with us? I assume. They're oh probably yes. ha- they're probably half my age. My my mom's sixty nine. My dad just turned seventy. The so, kids, yeah, mere children. I'll send you lots of stuff, and that's very flattering. Nice to, nice oh. to know. Jackie, nice you're to like know. in your, uh, you're in. I, I don't think I'm giving away the game here. You're in your seventies, but you look, you're, you're, you're very spry. You know, I just had a knee replacement a couple months ago, and it's, it's almost back now. But you know, somebody, somebody said something to me so long ago, and I never got it out of my head. Somebody about my age, they said, you know, Jackie, sitting around, I feel like I'm thirty years old. Until I try to get up. And every time I go to get up, I say, that son of a bitch, man. Because, you know, you, you just get, you, you just kind of uh, mold into wherever you are. But I still feel good. You know, it's winter here today. Two days ago, I was swimming in the Long Island Sound. It was beautiful. It just goes so fast. It's just all of a sudden there's no fall. There's like summer and then there's winter. It sucks, you know. You're in Long Island. We're out in California and it is, uh, it's still warm here. I'm sweating as uh, you can see. I'm sure if you look over my shoulder <laughs> over there, that's the you can see the Long Island Sound if it if the windows weren't so uh well I, I guess cool. your little segue here, then we could bring this up is you've also got a documentary that's gonna be coming out at some point. And in this documentary, there's a lot of footage of, of you. Uh you like to uh you like to go swimming in Long Island Sound in the in your birthday suit. And this is something you've been doing forever, right? Uh Forever, you know, ever since I've lived there on the water for 20 years. And before that, we lived, you know, a, a block away. And I come up and would come home from gigs. And the last thing I do is go down and strip off my clothes and go for a nice long swim or at the end of the night. It's just fantastic. I got an outdoor shower, nice hot outdoor shower. You sleep like a log. You know, it's it's people. It's not even the least bit weird. It's wonderful. You know, thank God the fish don't like penis. <laughs> well, Una did. Una did say after she watched the documentary, she said Jackie's got a nice ass for. Uh, <laughs> Every girlfriend like, I ever had said that that was my finest quality was my ass. Your ass? What you think? My I, ass. Said, I liked your ass too, and you know, you know, Jackie. You know, Swimming is good for that. It's good for know? the it's, ass. Yeah, it's good. For, good for the it's ass. Good for it's everything. Good for the abs. Good for everything. It's, it's perfect. good for your perfect. nervous system. You know, perfect wakes exercise. you up. Yeah. Right. And my knee, you know, you have to be gentle with your knee right after it's replaced. And it's the perfect thing for swimming. I mean, for exercising your knee. So, exactly. so and you're now doing let's good. just get old and die. But let's you were, you were a, you were a, I don't always say world-class, but you were a very good athlete. You gymnast growing up. Nah, right? You know what? I, you know what? My high school had like 500 people total. And, um, I was a good gymnast in my high school in, in uh, junior year of high school. I came in third in Nassau County in floor exercise. But in 1965, there was nobody did gymnastics, Not, you know, soccer, gymnastics, all those things that are so, you know, prominent now. I mean, we, had, we used to go to gymnastic meets in our coach's car and I came in third in Nassau County, but Number one was up here, and the guy who came in second was here, and I was down here. I mean, it was a it was a, a country mile between my talent and the talent of the guy that was number one, but I was still third. You know, my buddy, my buddy who, I, who taught me how to play guitar, we were in a talent contest in Oyster Bay. 
in Oyster Bay at the local theater. And there were four four people, four bands. There was two group, sing groups and two bands. And he sent me the, you know, 20 years ago he sent it to me, but it was already 30 years old. The, the Sonics, fourth place talent contest. But nobody said that they, there, there was were only four. four. <laughs> they didn't say last they said fourth which is just what's so funny, funny is i this is a thing i didn't know about you i don't know una were you aware of this when we watched the documentary that you were in a band like that was the beginning for you you're playing music i just thought comedy no, that, was, yeah. that, that, that was the whole thing for me that was the whole thing for me i uh it's so funny i've been telling the same story on stage my whole life and me and my my double cousin lenny just went to montana to visit the guy that kicked me into gear with the stupid joke telling you i probably told the story in the documentary about sitting there as a kid and my cousin who was in eighth grade coming in and reading a dirty poem and that caught my attention and that's why i started telling dirty jokes <laughs> but <clears throat> i started playing guitar in, in seventh grade you know it's also fruitless you know even billy joel said you know 99 of the people who take up music do it to get laid and the other one percent are lying <laughs> you know that's all it was <laughs> For chasing girls. <clears throat> and my friend that taught me was in Sunday school, and a girl came up to him and said, You know, that guy Ricky Nelson is so cool. He plays guitar. So my friend Bates went out and got a guitar and started taking lessons. And the, the girl never came back to Sunday school. He never, he never saw the girl again. <laughs> and then he taught me to play. He said, Hey, man, let me teach you four chords and we can play in a band and meet chicks. I'm like, Sold, you know. So I did that all through high school, all through college. An extra two years at Michigan State and all through the 70s. And then all of a sudden at the age of 31, I said, if you ever want to eat or maybe have a family or have a house, you better forget this music thing and find something, you know, something secure. So I started. So you went into comedy, stuff. which, of course, is such a that's an easy business to get in. But I was, I, was never a com- I was never a comic. I'm not a comedian. I My whole life, I had absorbed every joke in the world. And I really do know more jokes than anybody in the world. And they all stuck to me. And then all of a sudden I'm stuck. The, the guys quit the band. I said, you know what? I'm going to start telling these jokes on stage because I'd already been telling them with my guitar. And I switched from a guitar player telling jokes to a joke teller playing guitar. And it, and it just, you know, everybody loved it. Nobody else was doing what I did. And I made a record. Then I made another record. And I made another, you know, I had three records out. Nobody knew I was doing it myself, borrowing the money. You know, you, you know, it's a hustle. We're all just carnival. Well, folk. You say just, you say you know. it hustle, Jack. That's the thing in the documentary that just blew me away was not only are you doing all this, you're putting out the albums later on, and well, maybe I'm jumping ahead, but when you were doing the joke hotline, you had all these hot phones hooked up in your attic, right? You had like ten different phone lines going. You've always been a hustler. And the other thing that I just think is such a a lesson that people could take away that anybody that's trying to make it is you know, talent is one thing, okay? You got to have the talent. But you got to be willing not only to get the shit kicked out of you and keep coming back, but also to outwork people. And I don't know anybody that worked hard. You were fearless, and that's how Stern happened. Howard Stern's show happened was you just kind of went for it. It's like, all right, I'm going to send this guy my stuff. And it's kind of crazy to think like, oh, yeah, they're going to check it. Who does that? Like, not a lot of people have the balls to do that, and you did. I I have done that since the very beginning. <clears throat> we did we put up the first comedy show on. There were no comedy clubs on Long Island, and me and another guy put on a show at a local restaurant, and 
I always recorded my shows in my band or when I was by myself. And so I would record my shows on a cassette player. And one night I said to my girlfriend, I said, you know, they laughed every time I talked, I should make a record. She said, don't look at me, make a record. So I borrowed a hundred bucks from 15 different people and made a record. People don't realize it's like baking a cake. All you need is money and a tape and a picture and you send it to Nashville. They send back your records. And I looked like hot shit, you know, like all of a sudden I got this record and uh, it was six months after I started being a comedian, mm -hmm. I had a record out and everybody made fun of me. You know, all the guys, I'd be standing by the door, selling my records for five bucks and sign them and they'd be goofing on me. And then one night somebody's like, wait a minute, we each made $40 and Jackie made an extra 75 selling his albums. Maybe he's not crazy. Meanwhile, now you can't go to a show anywhere where they don't sell all their crap after every show. And by the way, know? Jack, I didn't mean mm -hmm. to jump in, but Una's a little younger yeah. than us. Una, an album <laughs> is, a, is, is a, do you know what albums are? Of course I do. All right. I don't know. Of you know it's, it's, it's a vestige of a, a vestige of an old, oh, True. Jackie's leaving now. Oh, he's getting, grabbing True. a record. <laughs> it's a vestige of an older, an older era. There it is. Let's see that. There it go. An ape. Of course. I actually, I have a little record player right behind me. Oh, well, Jackie's going to send you send you that thing. I'm sure you can get that. Yeah, me, me and my buddy, this was my second album. I went to the Lillian Costume Shop on Jericho Turnpike in Mineola on Long Island. And I walked in and I said, I need to borrow your gorilla, cost, gorilla costume. I don't have any money, but if you loan it to me for a couple of days, I'll give you a credit on my comedy album. And the girl didn't know what hit her. She said, take the thing. Well, you know, I haven't rented it in 30 years. <laughs> so I, I, me and my buddy went to the Bronx Zoo with the gorilla suit in two bags. One bag had the suit, one bag had the head. And we went into the Bronx Zoo and I went behind a tree and put on the gorilla <laughs> costume. And I was running around scaring kids. <laughs> <laughs> And he was taking pictures and almost none of the pictures came out. And it just, I wanted to kill him. The few pictures that are on the album actually came out. But I was actually standing behind a tree and it was September. So imagine a third grade class and the teacher is walking these kids along, you know, two abreast, walking down the sidewalk in the, in the zoo. And when you're a kid in the zoo, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, Wow, I, I, I hope none of these animals get loose. Hope none. Of <laughs> and all of a sudden, a gorilla jumps from behind a tree, and I'm scaring the crap <laughs> out of all these kids for about 15 minutes. And then they caught they caught us. Said, "What do you get out of here?" And they kick us out. But somewhere <laughs> there are kids walking around. There had to be three or four classfuls of 30 or 40 kids each. Those kids are walking around their whole life trying to tell people. That they were at the Bronx Zoo when they were a kid and a gorilla jumped out. And I'm just waiting for somebody to finally say, God, there you can you can back up my story because it sounds so crazy. This here, this is this is me buying a it's ticket. It's incredible. This is me getting buying a ticket to go into the zoo. Within <laughs> the in after, the eight outfit. We already got kicked out. Oh. I just put the suit back on and went up there so he'd take my well, what's picture. The, what's interesting though about this though, Jay, beyond just doing that is when we talk about it being a different era. So if you did that today, you'd be filming it. You'd be putting it together. You'd be putting it up on TikTok or Instagram. And the whole idea would be, let's get this thing to go viral. And that's your ticket to fame. 
that didn't happen back then. You that this doing an album, and I feel like you were ahead of your time because you you had the the um, initiative to go. All right, how do I get this out to a wide audience? Because there was no internet, there was no way to disseminate this sort no, of thing. Yeah. I worked at a recording studio. Um, it all happened, you know. Uh, I played in a band, and the, old, the guy who owned this, the the uh, club owned two clubs, and me and my my partner would sell out the, each of the clubs one night a week. And he was making a fortune, and he thought I was going to kill myself over this girl who broke my heart. And we had a song that everybody went berserk to every time we played it. Howard used to play it all the time on the show called the Pot Song. And he decided he let me make a record. So I went into the studio on his dime and we made this record. And the studio we used was owned by one of the other guys that played in one of the bands at the same club who, by all craziness, right now is married to my sister. <laughs> That's wow. how these things work out. But just from working there, I, found, I realized anybody can make a record. But nobody knew that. You know, everybody was so flabbergasted. I would have thought every other comedian would have ran out and made a record. But you have to know about recording and you got to know about microphones. There was a whole bunch of, you don't have to, I never learned a lot. I always learned just enough to get me to the next iceberg. You know what I mean? I knew just enough about recording and just enough about editing and just blah, blah, blah. And and I, the front... <laughs> The cover of my first album is my eighth grade class picture where I'm given the finger. <laughs> and when I first started telling my jokes on stage, I put that picture up and my friend said, why is that up there? I said, that's going to be the cover of my first album. And he was like, your first album, right? Right. Then <laughs> and, and it is. All right. I got to get something off my chest. It's about rum. You see, all rum begins in sugarcane fields, but not all rum is made from fresh sugarcane juice. In fact, 100% fresh sugarcane juice rums are rarer than honest politicians, slow-footed professional soccer players, and gooey love ballads by Ramstein. Or is it Ramstein? Anyway, the care and attention required to make great rum from fresh sugarcane juice is time-consuming and expensive. That's why most rum brands don't bother. Thankfully, Batiste ain't most rum brands. Batiste is the first sustainable American craft rum. It's a delicious, clean, and environmentally positive spirit that you can feel good about inside and out. Kind of like you do when you're listening to Ramstein. Or is it Ramstein? Batiste is the result of a special collaboration between an historic French Caribbean distillery on the remote island of Marie Galante and a Napa, California-based producer of sustainable spirits. It is the brand's mission to bring the ethics and standards of the all-natural food world to rum. And right now, Batiste Rum has a hell of a deal for you, my listener. Go to BatisteRum.com, that's B-A-T-I-S-T-E-R-H-U-M.com. Fill up your cart and enter code DUNN, D-U-N-N. You'll get 20% off everything you've ordered. 20 friggin' percent! Damn, that's awesome! Folks, Batiste Rum is my go-to. Invite you to make it yours. It's proof that great taste with true sustainability is not a goal for tomorrow, but a reality today. Listen, listen up. That was my skull. I'm so wasted. Me and my future ex-wife, which she really was and really is and still my best friend, Nancy Sirianni, who you talk about all the time on the Stern Show. Right. I, yeah. mm -hmm. I put out a record. And 
did what I could and then put out a second record. And then she came to work with me. And then we put out a third record. But the whole time I was sending records to everybody I could think of. I sent my record to everybody. And then when I got a second record, I sent the two records to everybody. And then when I got a third record, I sent the three. And we must have sent out literally 350 or 400 packages of all those records to everybody you could ever think of. And one of them was this guy that they told about, they told me about him in Washington, D.C. And I put his name on it and just mailed it. I didn't know who Howard Stern was. I never heard of him or heard, heard what he did. I didn't listen to the radio. I drove around listening to the Eagles on, on my cassettes, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's happenstance, but it isn't. You know, unfortunately, yeah. my life is the actual proverbial, the more crap you throw against the wall, eventually something's going to stick. And well, it did. And know. showing up for yourself and the consistency and like putting in the work like you've done for years. And like, that's part of the marathon, they say, right? You have to keep it, running and it, it. And, and it is the marathon because at some mm-hmm. point I realize if if I stop, if I stop right now, I got nothing. I got no evidence of anything. There is, you know, who, besides me saying I worked really hard for the last 20 years, I got nothing to show for it. No, but you saved in your documentary, you saved all the jokes that you were, you have like a whole room of memorabilia. It looked like. And you know what? I'm actually thinking of selling those notes. Somebody wrote to me Mm -hmm. (coughs) asking about getting one of those notes, a, a specific thing. And I said, you really would want one of those? And he goes, yeah. And I started telling him about how many I had and blah, blah, blah. And I said, you really think people would be interested? He said, you don't, you don't have any idea of the power of that show and the power of what you did. He said, all the people that listened to that show in the 80s and 90s, they got done with college. They got done with high school. They got their first job. They got their first wife. They got successful. So many of those people are rich now. And they've got their boat and they've got their house and they've got the blah, blah, blah. What, what, what one of those guys wouldn't kill to have a framed note from the old Howard Stern show? It's a, it's a conversation piece. What's totally. that? Oh, that's one of the notes Jackie wrote for Howard. Bang, you're off to the races with every memory you ever had. So I might actually sell them. I think it's a book. What's fascinating in the documentary about that is, and again, it's about taking initiative, which you did. This wasn't something that was planned, that it was like, all right, Jackie's going to sit in the studio and he's suddenly going to start writing down rapid fire jokes and passing them over to Howard. That wasn't in your job description. You just started doing that. It was not a heard of thing. It wasn't a known thing. And I went in there and I'm sitting there and he's talking and, you know, it's a fun thing and it's big time radio, but the guy ain't that funny. He he really, really, and nothing against him because he's brilliant, but he just wasn't, you know, makes like he's broadly funny, but not. He's not a, he's not a one liner guy. Yeah. Yeah, So I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, you know, it's like you two are talking and I'm talking only when I have something funny to say, instead of me saying it, I give it to Dan and he says it and you, you laugh. And, uh, so all of a sudden, as I started doing it more and more and more, it became an ingrained. It it was so, so gradual. I can't even describe it. When I finally got into the studio, when they said, all right, we're going to K-Rock. And we started K-Rock. They actually had a little place for me to sit that actually had a place to write. 
I was like, well, that's not by accident. And then once I started writing and had a place, Fred started. So also not only was he Howard's sense of humor, but it was my sense of humor. And Fred would hand me a little piece of paper. I'd say, no, Fred, here's the, here's the eight by 10 paper. And here's a Sharpie, write it nice and big. Because if you write something and I have to rewrite it, by the time it gets to Howard, the moment's passed. You got to give me something that, so now I was a conduit for me, for him. And all of a sudden we got three minds working together but three completely different senses of humor. You know, like I'm the goofy punchline guy and Howard's like broadly insulting and Fred is from Pluto. <laughs> and it just, the combination all coming out of one guy, people thought, holy Christ, you know, pay no attention to those guys behind the curtain. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, was, uh, it was, it was phenomenal. You know, it's such a, well, let, let, let's, so I keep talking, we keep talking about the documentary, let people know out there. So it's not out yet, but you're, you got your little top secret with distribution deal coming. Well, we just got distribution and it's exciting, except I didn't know this. When you get distribution, it takes X amount of time. You know, the, the deal is all done, but it has to be put into the system. So it can be, you know, accessed by the different uh, cable places, you know? So I guess that takes time, you know? So I, it, if I start telling everybody where it is and what it is and people start looking for it and they can't find it, it's going to be yesterday's news. Not that it's, it's what, what's, the name of the, what's the name of the documentary? Joke Man. Where'd you come up with that? I don't know. It's like, Some guy <laughs> said it, it was a good idea, you know? <laughs> so eventually we're going to be able to see Joke Man. Una and I have, have watched it. And boy, it, it brought back a lot of memories from the Stern show, which, I you know, is sort of the heyday of... Uh, look... I listen to Stern still. Uh, I, it's a different thing now than it used to be. But what you guys were doing back then was the real groundbreaking stuff, you know. Now and then everybody started copying. I think this gets talked about, right, Una, in the documentary, mm-hmm. where suddenly it was like everybody was trying to do the Howard Stern show, and they had a Jackie, and they had a Fred, and they had a Robin, and they and no yeah. one could no one could replicate what you all did during that period of time to build what what is still the probably the greatest you know talk radio show ever you know the pieces <clears throat> kind of assembled themselves and you can't just go at random and get four you know like go get me a beatles you know it was it was crazy how it just all worked everybody knew their place and knew their way but nobody ever talked about it my whole job description my whole life, um, it was so funny because I, I, I went to uh, the Virginia Beach Comedy Club and I drove down. I was just pulling into the parking lot and Ricky Cheeks was the owner and he had a scar from here to here. I never asked him who did it or why, but I couldn't believe he's alive. But he was like, a, he is a mobbed up guy. And he said, Jackie, you got to call, call home. She wasn't my wife yet. You got to call Nancy, call home. And I'm like, holy shit, my parents are dead. You know, the house burned down. What could it possibly be? Because she, ne- we never spoke. Back in early 80s, the price of a phone, you know, you could lo- spend your whole salary calling home. So we never talked. And I called home. And she said, Jackie, are you sitting down? And I'm like, oh, Christ, now, now the house did burn down. She says, Howard Stern just got fired from NBC. 
I said, I'm, I'm imagining my father in flames. And he got, I don't care. I'm working there one day a week. I'm not getting paid. Screw him. Who cares, right? A couple months later, he was on K-Rock. He had had me back one day a week. I pulled into the same parking lot in Virginia Beach. It was a couple months later because you worked there every, you know, two or three times a year. Same parking lot. Same guy. Ricky Cheek says, Nancy wants you to call home. I'm like, now for sure everybody's dead because this couldn't happen again. <clears throat> and Nancy said, uh, you got to call Howard right away. He said, it's an emergency. I called up and he said, we'll go in the mornings and I want you two days a week and I need you to give me a price. I just want you to sit there and do your thing with the notes. That was my whole job description for the 18 years. Sit there and do your thing with your notes. That's as much as we ever discussed it. As, wow. as crazy as that sounds. And it... And that's exactly what it was. The one other thing he said was, don't edit. Just write whatever you think, and I'll edit. That's if I don't brilliant. think it's appropriate, you know. I mean, it's so like quick thinking, thinking on your feet in the moment and with all the information that's coming at you in that moment. It's such a talent to be able to do that, you know. Yeah, but it's, you know, I was just basically the kid in the back of class passing notes, <laughs> you know, like breaking balls, you know. And mm-hmm. like... I didn't have to think about where the show was going or what's going to happen in the next hour or what, you know, so I was free to, to free associate and be silly and be crazy and, and be dirty or be clean or, you know, some, some of the things I wrote was so childish, like, but something from first grade can be the funniest thing you ever see. You know, it's the whole potpourri is like, nobody has any idea what's, what's he going to say next, you know, no, idea, and they really didn't because he didn't. He didn't. <laughs> he, he would read what I wrote a lot of times without even pre-reading it. You know, the stories about that, are, you know, I got a lot of books in me, but I'm not. So is this, it. is this what yes. Benji does now? I, I've never quite figured out what Benji's. Is I don't sort of doing a variation I, of you. He's part of the reason I left. Um, Cause we were such, not, not his fault at all because I'd be the last one to come down on somebody for scratching, clawing and try and get their way in. But we were such a finely tuned machine. Like I was writing, Fred was writing and hand me stuff. Fred run the sound effects and the commercials and Robin's Robin and Howard's Howard and Gary and John are back in. I mean, it was finely tuned machine. And one day Gary said, yeah, Benji's going to sit in during the news. And I had a little tiny place to write. And all of a sudden I got this fat little kid sitting next to me <laughs> and he's writing too. So I not only have to, have what I'm writing, think about what I'm writing and write it and also read what Fred wrote. But now I got to read what Fred wrote and what Benji wrote and, you know, figure out which I should put up. And I already had it covered anyway. And then eventually I think he started coming in. I don't think the whole show, but the second half. And it was like, it wasn't his fault, but it was rude. It was like, it was a Howard's agent's way of saying, listen, if you ever go anywhere, we got you covered. And Mm -hmm. they didn't have me covered. And it was like, you know, if I got up to take a leak, I had to step over this guy. So, you know, yeah. I don't blame him. He's like, hey, I want to get in there. And I want to write. I want to get in there and write. So I'm, I'm sure he just does what I did. You know, I'm not, I, I'm probably on the computer. I don't know. I don't care. I really don't care, you know. Well, all of this is covered in the documentary as well. And I think it's that's a fascinating part. I think what really people want to know about, though, Jackie, honestly, is uh, our history, Uh uh, you and I know each other. I mean, that's really the important thing here. And uh, you that's and I met. Very important. We met at the Cannes Film Festival many years ago. I, at the uh, we were at a beach party at Nikki Beach. Remember this? And I looked over and I went, 
I think that's the I joke, don't man. know exactly. I just know that I think me and you were both sitting there eating the free food that we were sopping up. Or, <laughs> yeah. or were we at the buffet or were we getting a – I couldn't have been getting a drink, but I might have been getting a, a seltzer or something. Yeah. And that's how we met. And then uh, I ended up – then I think I had one of my first book or something came out not long after that. And you you and I – you took me into somebody's show in New York City – on a, who was it? It was a big. No, no. What happened was just way, way crazy. <clears throat> uh, Joey Reynolds. An Joey old friend, Reynolds. That's right. Yeah. And I used to go on his show once in a while. His show was from 12 midnight till four in the morning. And he was just like Howard. He could go on and on and on and on and didn't bother him that he wasn't funny. So I go in there until I couldn't stand it anymore. And then I'd say something funny. And I met so many great people because he knows everybody, knew everybody. And we had so much fun. I'd break his balls. And then one night I went down. The show was all 111 Broadway, all the way, right next to Trinity Church, was the yeah. very beginning of man. Like He he literally, you could spit out his window onto Alexander Hamilton's grave. Literally, literally. And uh, <clears throat> not that I would. Hamilton was great. But um, I came in. I always came in, you know, like, 20 minutes after he got started or, you know, cause he'd talk for the first 20 minutes. He wouldn't acknowledge anybody. And I got down there and I walked in and, uh, I don't think there was a producer there. Yeah. There was a, the producer and this very pretty girl was sitting there and I'm like, uh, hi, what do you do? She said, oh, I'm, I'm here with somebody who's, who's on the show. I said, Oh, and I said, uh, to the producer or whoever came out, I said, who's in there with Joey? Because I used to always just bomb in, you know? And he said, oh, they got some uh, some guy that writes a booze column. And I'd never heard of somebody writing a booze column, <laughs> except when I met Dan Dunn in Ken. I said, is the guy's name Dan Dunn? And, and the producer was like, how do you know that? And I just walked <laughs> down the hall and, and I burst into the room and said, That's what right. the, what are you doing here? <laughs> He said, what are you doing here? And Joey's like, you guys know each other? No, I always walk into a room and say, what are you doing here? You know. <laughs> and then we ended up hanging out left. the whole night. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. And then, um, boy, that was, a long time was ago. Fun. 15 years ago? Something like that? More? Yeah, and you you, uh, you could tell the date was, uh, it had to be uh, probably 2007. John McCain was running for president. That's right. And that girl, that girl you were with was part of the bus of the girls that were promoting uh, McCain. She was friends with McCain's daughter. She, they, they, she was part of that bus full of people doing the promotion. And then uh, I spoke to them. They, they called up and said, when are you coming to the city? I said, well, it's Thanksgiving. What are you guys doing for Thanksgiving? She said, oh, we're going to spend it in the hotel because we've been uh, working so hard. I said, you don't spend Thanksgiving in a hotel when you know me. So Megan McCain and Latoria came, came to, to my your house. house That's right. I, and my kitchen was ripped apart and the electrical stuff was hanging. And here's the, the president-elect's daughters there. And she was just flabbergasted about the whole. We went in to see Les Paul. And, uh, you know, it was, it was. You spent more time with my ex-girlfriend than I did, Jackie, back then. Yeah. <laughs> she, it's it was, uh, and Joey Reynolds. Like, you know, he's like, who's Marley got with him? Oh, Megan McCain. And his head exploded, you know. <laughs> so she, she spent 10 minutes trying to dodge his questions. But uh, uh, but that was fun. It was, it was, a, it was it, you and I just had it from the, some people you meet from the instant you say hello, 
you don't even remember when that happened, you know, because we were laughing pretty hard right away, as I remember it over in Cannes, right? It was, oh, yeah, it was it was funny. And we were because the place, the one place I remember being, it was and my friend Moak was with us. Remember, Dave Mokus was there. And and it was just so ridiculous because it was I think it was called Nikki Beach. And it was this, and we're sitting there and we couldn't be more out of place because it was just, you know, the beautiful people and everybody's so young so, and hot. Oh, and, so fancy. And we're so, sitting there yeah. going, what is happening right now? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I went there eight to- eight years I went there. And the reason I was there was I'm very good friends with Tom Bernard, who's the president of Sony Pictures Classics, which is like that the top of the food chain at film festivals. And he could he could walk on water over there. So he just dragged me to everything, you know. I'm smoking pot on Paul Allen's yacht, you know, and yeah. and handing I handed joints to uh, Tim, uh, what's his name, Tim Burton and Helena Bonham Carter, and yeah, I just, you know, smoking pot on the side of Paul Allen's yacht with Adrian Grenet, and I didn't even know who the fuck who the hell it was. <laughs> well, then we ended just, up. Hey. Then we end up at something in Phoenix too, right? I remember we were at some concert in Phoenix and you were, you were doing some sort of MC thing. That was like Lenny Kravitz. Do you remember this? Oh, oh yeah. It was a like 5,000 people or something. I didn't do anything except I think I just introduced. We were there. Yeah. You and I were there together at that thing. And that was whenever that was. And, uh, it's been a long road. Oh, I love your friendship. Right. It's nice. It's really fun. And all of a sudden he pops up. I don't know whether I, I, I uh, stalked you or you stalked me, but I'm glad you did or I, we did or I did. Who did. I know. And it, <laughs> and I go to New York. You know, I do the show there a lot at the Stan Comedy Club. And we got to get you out there on the, one of these one of the next ones that we get. Yeah, that guy came on the show a couple of times and he was a big fan. And then he did he get. He, oh, he the got one hurt. that died. He, uh, yeah. So the guy that owns it now, Paul Italia, his business partner. And boy, I feel terrible that I'm going to forget his that I am forgetting his name, but it was a big, it was a big story. Very tragic. He, um, yeah, Dave, Dave, somebody, Dave, yeah, was, uh, that's right. And he was a manager. He managed a lot of big comedians, but he also was a partner in the club and his au pair had a gone through a breakup and the boyfriend was crazy. And the boyfriend showed up at the house one day, broke into the house and killed him and her. Right. And I right, killed the two of them. She, I mean, and not, there was nothing going on with him in the, you know, the au pair had her spot and he just broke in with a knife. And I think Dave was sleeping and, and he killed, murdered him. Jesus. Wrong place, wrong time. Of course, if there's two owners, the ones that I'm friends with, that's the one that gets the killed. killed you know, so it's you all about me. Yeah. Oh By the way, I've had this happen to me like in Hollywood. It's so horrible. Like I, I, I have, you know, I, you know, Jack, I've wrote movies and stuff and, I've had one of my friends, Danny Liner, uh, man, rest in peace. He was a great friend and director. He did Dude, Where's My Car? He did Harold and Kumar Go to White Castle. And I remember thinking you know, a year or two after he died, cancer it was terrible. But we had this project we were shopping around and we we're trying to get like a big time comedy director attached. And I remember thinking, why the fuck did he have to die of cancer? Because we could have attached Liner to this project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this business yeah, is all, horrible i'm like wait, why did he go me. and die on me i could have attached him to this script and got this thing made <laughs> like damn, damn it. it selfish daddy so damn selfish it.
And now, how about a word from one of our dream sponsors, Regal Beer, circa 1950s. The smaller the bubble, the better the beer. The smaller the bubble, the better the beer. That's the flavor secret of Regal Cheer. Pour a glass of Regal. Because of a special bubble filter process, Regal Beer has smaller bubbles. See? The Regal Bubble is definitely smaller. Small bubbles last longer, lock in more flavor. Hold Regal up to the light. Twist the glass and watch those feathery plumes of small bubbles. Now taste Regal. Mmm. Brisk, bright, mellow to the last refreshing sip. Remember, the smaller the, the bubbles, the better the, the beer. That's the flavor secret of Regal Cheer. The smaller the, the bubbles, the better the, the beer. For that Regal beer, yes, Regal beer. Today. Well, that, that thing about getting stalked and getting killed, that's why I, that's why I stopped having sex in 1988. <laughs> because of that, you know, I, 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 I don't want to die. You know. <laughs> Is that that was the last time, huh? 88. I, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I, at least shoot me on the upstroke, you know. <laughs> no, I, that is a scary thing. That is a scary thing. And, and that's, that's a, you know, that's before the world got as wacky as it is now. You know, no, I mean, we've taught, you know, people talk about it. I mean, you're seeing not, I'm not equating what happened to him to this, but you know, you're seeing Chris Rock's getting smacked. Dave Chappelle got attacked. Do you ever worry, you know, care? You're not afraid of that when you're on stage, some lunatics going to, has anybody ever gotten in your face when you're doing comedy? Everybody, everybody, especially, especially since that, but I've always been asked that because, you know, now I, I, I basically just tell jokes, 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 jokes. But I used to, you know, get heckled and, and people, especially the Stern Show was wild. And and so I dealt with a lot of hecklers. So I had a lot of crazy, crazy lines. And I used to, you know, beat up on people pretty good. And people say, don't, don't you ever get in trouble? I'm like, no, n- never. And the truth of it is, in 1979, when I first started doing the thing where I'm playing guitar and telling jokes, I got hired to work a bachelor party in West Patterson, New Jersey. I can still remember it was $75, which was so much money for just going and telling a half hour's worth of jokes. It was, it was crazy. And I got my friend to come with me. <clears throat> now, where I'm from here on Long Island, when your friends got married, you didn't have bachelor parties for them. You know, you maybe you'd get drunk or something like not many guys got married right out of high school and say, you know, it's a different world than New Jersey. So I go to work this bachelor party and I'm maybe, maybe 15 guys, maybe 20, probably 15. I'm sitting on my Fender amplifier with my guitar. I'm telling jokes and insulting the guys, but I got like 15 guys standing in front of me in like a semicircle. So, you know, it's just like being on stage. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to you, you know? And at one point I said something very insulting and this monster came through the pack and grabbed me by my shirt <laughs> and bent me back over my amplifier and with his cocked fist, I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm a comic. I'm not, I wasn't talking to you. I'm, I'm just talking to the gang. And, and he backed off and I'm like, holy Christ, maybe I didn't choose the right career here. That's the only time in 45 years that ever happened. 
not even a hint of that. Can you believe that? I mean, and I've, I've said some horrible things to a lot of people, but they laugh. And then the more popular I got and the more famous I got, the harder they laughed. I've, I've been chasing, you know, Larry Holmes and Clark Gillies have chased me through, you know. Well, you do, you're Friars Club too. And that, that's one of those, you know, when you do those roasts, it's changed. A lot's changed. And, you know, just I, w- I went down that rabbit hole recently on YouTube and I was because Jeff Ross was on some show and I and I was oh, I got to go back and watch. She was talking about a lot of the roasts and I went back and not even five, six years ago, you're watching some stuff going. I don't think you can say that anymore. I don't. Right. No, right? I, like I, you no, do, no, Jeff. But yeah. <laughs> the whole world is crazy. I, you know, I really backed off on a lot because, you know. I get plenty of laughs. You know, I, I go I, one thing where I go through like maybe, you know, 10 jokes where I hit every, you know, nationality, religion, blah, 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 boom, 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 boom. <clears throat> but it's harmless because because it's always been harmless. And I've always, I just say to my crowd, listen, if you watch what I do and if you think there's anything harmful, you think I'm trying to do anything but make people laugh, you're out of your mind. Helen Keller knows I'm fooling around, you know. <laughs> but, but it is, it is, uh, it is scary. They're going to take, all the joy and all the, you know what? I'm really thinking of doing this and I haven't done it yet, but I was years ago, I was thinking about it just because it, you know, crap is funny. Poop is funny. There's just no getting around it. But now that's the only thing that you can say and get away with because it's not offensive as filthy and disgusting as shit is. It's not insulting because you go, I go, there's a good chance. Una goes, you know, and Una loves shit. Do, Everybody poops, man. I was, I was, <laughs> I was going to do a show called the shit show, only instead of an yes. I, an asterisk. You know, the shit show. <laughs> yeah. Because because th- th- nobody gets offended. You know, a guy, a guy came up to me years ago. I was I was at a show at Iridium in Manhattan. Mark Hudson from the Hudson Brothers, who's just incredibly brilliant talent. He'd have different people from W. He had Billy J. Kramer there one night. And the place was packed. And we're having fun. And the show was done. <clears throat> so me and Mark and Billy were fooling around in the green room. And I finally said, listen, I got to go. When I walked out, but it was still as packed as ever because everybody wants autographs and they want to talk. And it's, it's a small place, so it's not a big job to pack it. But I'm walking out and this guy grabs me. He says, Jackie, I've been a fan for 40 years. I know you know all the jokes. And I really love you but I got to try one on you. And I said, listen, I've listened to every joke I've ever heard. You're not offending me. I just want to hear it because there was sometimes something slips through the cracks. And, and he told me a joke and not only is it ridiculously funny, but it's so dirty. I can't use it in my act because it's same reason I don't do Jesus jokes in my act. You can't do anything that slows it up. And if you tell a Jesus joke, people might laugh, but then they might stop and think about getting hit by lightning and they miss the next joke. And this joke is so disgusting that people, <laughs> if, if they go, ooh, they're going to miss the next joke. <laughs> but that said, you can tell the joke to your five-year-old kid. And you can tell the joke to your grandmother. And you can tell the joke on AM radio. Now figure, imagine that fitting all those categories a girl calls a doctor and she says, Doc, I got diarrhea. Can I take a bath? And he says, if you got enough. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Which is, 
Then I fell down. The guy said, Jack, you don't have to pretend you know. I said, I never heard that before. It's so disgusting and so funny and so silly. I like and, you know, kid, kids go nuts for that stuff. Jack, so. I got I to gotta ask you something because we're talking about offensive stuff. Una was telling me a story off the air, and maybe you have some advice for her on how to deal with it. So she lives out in the Silver Lake area of Los Angeles, <laughs> out you know on the east part of town. And apparently there's a guy. So like the Sil- Silver Lake? Silver Lake. That- yeah, it's it's out like past like North Hollywood area, out that way. Yeah, it's, it's above downtown. But, but that's not really important. The important part of the story is she has a sort of an outside area of her apartment. And then, Una, tell what's happening here. And, and, and <laughs> I want to hear Jackie's solution to this. <laughs> yeah, we have a, a serial urinator on our street. He sits in his white Mercedes parked outside oh so he's not on the floor he's not on the patio above you no he like he hangs out in his car basically takes naps he drives around he'll come back and he'll always get out and pee in the exact same spot in our backyard area that's facing the whole foods and like it's just what what do you mean your backyard you have a house it's like an apartment complex but he's very like public about it and sometimes he'll like not even he'll be like doing no hands kind of peeing he'll have his hands (laughs) by his side does he know you guys are watching i think he does he's broad daylight i sent dan a photo before you know we all got on and the guy's in a mercedes he gets out of his mercedes and goes into their backyard and pees on a tree yeah, he pees on the tree, the same tree. There's only one solution: water balloons. Yes, I was thinking. I was thinking a super soaker, a super soaker gun no, from no, a kitchen because, window. No, because then he can, he'll know where it's coming from. You gotta True. just, you know, if you throw, you know, and and if, and if that doesn't stop him, then you start putting stuff in the water balloons. You know, like <laughs> foul stuff or pee. <laughs> how, how old is this guy? Um, I would say he's like. In his sixties, mid sixties. Does he look like Jackie by any chance? Because hold on a second. <laughs> you know it's so funny because I I always have to pee. I I've peed in every parking lot on Long Island. You know I I just do. I I'm not going to be uncomfortable, and I don't care if somebody says, "What's your problem?" I'll say, "I'm 74." You know, and when you're 74, you can write to me and say, "You know what? I understand." But, you know, just get some iPhone video of them. You know, know. I did. I did. And, like, actually, there's there's many places in the area he could actually use their services. There's a diner. There's a couple of restaurants. There's But I don't get back to the same place. Does he live there? Same place. No, he doesn't. He just hangs out in his car on our street for, like, a couple of hours, like, every single day. And then just moves on. It's got to be somebody there that he's stalking. It's got to be somebody that he loves or. or, or well, I'm hoping it's not on. you, Una. Are you sure he's not uh, stalking me? No s- way. Secretly stalking you? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, what a mating ritual wild. that must be. Maybe if I just keep peeing on this tree, I'm going to impress and her. That, it's, it's been done. How how often? Once a week? Once a month? Like every day. At least At least once a day. In the, at like, Around the same time, actually, too. It's a weird <laughs> like, have, ritual. Have your, have your neighbors seen him? Oh, yeah. Um, I have a couple of neighbors across the street that have called him out on it. And he was like, like, fuck you, Punta. <laughs> wow. 
Yes, yeah. this is kind of I, you might. This could be a documentary <laughs> here. I might want to set up a camera. The, the random I, peeing guy. I've heard it all, but I, you know, <laughs> I, I can't uh, believe the returns to the scene of the crime. You know, this is what day. my dog does when I walk. My yeah, dog, I was just gonna say she has favorite. Spot. She has favorite spots that she likes to pee. I know when we're walking, there's a certain patch of grass she's gonna go there. But human beings, a guy that comes every day and marks this tree. It's not his property. That's very strange. So I like Jackie's idea, Una. I think the water balloons might, because yeah. then you could throw it and then quickly duck down. He wouldn't know where it's coming from. Right. And if it hits right. him, or I'll just come over and, you know. Yeah. I always find a baseball just, bat is a, a very good deterrent as well. If somebody's on your property. That's very East Coast of you. Well, you know, Philly guy. <laughs> you know us, Jackie. You know, Philly guys. We're, we're yeah. You know, or, you know, or, or stick with a nail in it and, you know. <laughs> stick with it. Could you, could you see Uma <laughs> going out with a stick with a nail no, in it? No, not to hit him, but to put a hole in his tire, you know. Oh, yeah, you could do that. What if you walked out? Well, it'd be hard for you to do that. What if I walked out? What if I came over and while he was peeing on the tree... I walked over and peed on his Mercedes. I go, hey, dude, tit for tat right here, brother. You're going to pee on the tree. I'm going to pee on your Mercedes. I went to college with a guy, and he still tells a story of me standing on his hood of his car and peeing on his windshield, and he turned on the wipers. (laughs) (laughs) You got to have fun. Got to have fun. But getting off the peeing for a second, before we let you go, Jackie, I want to, you're also doing the, you're on TikTok now. You're very active on the TikTok. I am. I got, you got to tell you people, um, I have a joke that I put up that actually. You realize you're telling my people this right now. You realize that, right? We're. Oh, are we live? We're on a show, yeah. Well, I mean, this shows, we're not live, but it's going to go up. This, this dialogue we're having right now, people are going to hear. Jackie's already, he's already forgotten how radio works. I'm up to 900,000 views of one joke and I'm, I really want to get to a million and it means nothing and I make no money from it, but it's, it's a great, great, filthy, filthy joke and everybody loves it. The thing is, TikTok, you can't be dirty. It's like the old Stern show. You know, people like, oh, you guys were so dirty. No, we weren't. We were on, we were on terrestrial radio you got you had to get away all those fines that famously got i'm not on tiktok are you on tiktok una i have a tiktok but i don't really utilize it yet so how do you follow can you follow jackie is that how that works to follow yes follow follow. tiktok.com slash and then it's at jackie martling i'm not sure why the at's in there but it's tiktok.com slash and if you do TikTok.com slash at Jackie Martling, it's got all 250 of the jokes. I, I was putting them on there every day, you know, and then one of my jokes got up to 650,000. I thought, wow, that, that'll never top that. And then along came Aaron Judge and I'm up to 900,000, you know, wow. so. It's wait, amazing. Yeah. You know what? I'll tell you right now. I, I wonder if I went up today. Now look, we're going to get real time, real time update on the Jackie's TikTok right here. Uh, I'm, I love that you're on TikTok. I think I, I'm not, I feel like I'm too old for that. Fossil. 905, 905,000. Wow. So we're almost there. Well, there was, a, there was a reason I was doing jokes for a radio station, you know, all through the 20 years of being on stage and blah, blah, blah. And comedy, you meet so many people. And Dan, I'm sure, you know, nobody goes away. The guy that you met in Phoenix, you run into in Canada and the guy from Florida, you know, the, everybody's got some kind of hustle. 
And this guy called me up and said, listen, I got three radio stations here in Phoenix and I really want to use your jokes. I said, I've tried everything and everybody loves them. Let's do something completely different. Jackie's 420 joke. Because 420 is pot. I said, to make a Jackie's 420 joke. Every day at 420, one joke. So that way people know if they, they don't have to worry about how many jokes are coming and remember them. All they got to do is remember the one joke they hear. And then they go, hey, Dan, why the chicken cross the road? Oh, that's funny. Where'd you hear that? Oh, on W666 with Jackie at 420. It was so easy to promote. It went to the moon. And then the pandemic destroyed everything. But I had a hundred of these jokes and they were just jokes with me laughing, telling the joke and laughing. No promotion. No, here's my name. No station. And I realized, wow, these are perfect for TikTok. When I found out <coughs> that TikTok has to be radio clean, so I started putting them up and people are getting a kick out of them, you know, because they make you laugh and there's something you can use to, to meet people. I mean, I, I always, always said jokes, you know, and they're going away. Nobody's interacting. Nobody's going to bars and hanging out and telling dick jokes. And, and Luna and I go to bars all the time. We're, we're, we're going to bar this week. Right? Are we yeah. going to a bar? To, yeah, we're going to be here. Jack, I got to try are, this, though. Yeah. I got to try this. I want to see if I can stump you. All right, here we go. I'm, sh- I'm sure you can. This couple is driving along, and they're arguing about the man's infidelity. And a woman pulls out a knife, and she cuts off his dick. And she throws it out the window. Driving along in the opposite direction is a man and his eight-year-old daughter. And the dick hits the windshield. Splat! And the daughter says, Pop, look at the size of the dick on that bug. All right. Well, that's it's kind of it. Yeah. <laughs> so the way the joke goes is he says, the, the dick hits the windshield and the little girl screams and she says, what was that, daddy? And the dad doesn't want to freak her out at such a young age. And he says, uh, it was a bug, honey. It was a bug. And she looks at him and she goes, well, it had a big dick. <laughs> 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 All right. So you can't, you, can't, you can't be stumped. Can't happen. Luna, you got any jokes? What did the kid with no hands get for Christmas? What? We don't know yet. Luna, <laughs> 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 you got a joke you could try to stump Jackie with? Oh, gosh. I, I'm not that. I don't. Uh, I'm sorry. No I'm like, jokes. Oh, man. Well, you wouldn't have it anyway. prepare a joke. Couldn't stop. Oh, no, and no. one other thing I want to plug here, I'm too, sorry. by the way. Jackie's uh, memoir from Bow to Stern, or Bow to Stern, came out about four or five years ago. Great book. I got it. Jackie sent me a copy. And it talks about all all of the stuff from this just really amazing career that you have had. And what I love about it, man, and you've said this, you say it in the documentary, you said it here, is you haven't always had this tremendous financial windfall success. You're always there. You're always plugging along. You're always going. And you've had, you've been to the top of the mountain with Stern and then you, then that goes away. And, but what I just love, man, is you are tenacious. You do, and your attitude never really seems to change, not at least publicly. You always have this very, I think, positive outlook about what's coming. You know, all, all things told, you know, I'm miserable half the time, happy half the time, like everybody else. The one thing, <clears throat> I was poor for so long. I mean, all through college, I didn't have any money. And then we're playing in a band. We were making so little money. But we're so busy smoking pot and, and getting drunk and getting laid. Nobody bothered to tell us we shouldn't be having so much fun. And uh, 
I didn't even smoke a joint until sophomore year of college because I was, you know, I was playing in a band and I was at a head of a country club and uh, the head busboy being a country club out here in Long Island was as much fun as going out drinking with the guys and gymnastics and soccer. I mean, I had my, I had my hands full. I didn't need, I didn't have room for pot for more fun. You know, like I just always had such a good time, but it was such a struggle through the whole seventies. And then the first couple of years of comedy, <clears throat> I can't even tell you that the, the horribleness and the wonderfulness of it was such a struggle and just had no money for so long. All of a sudden I started making money with Stern, but it was so gradual that all of a sudden one day I'm a millionaire. But when did that happen? But me and Nancy never changed. I never all of a sudden got a fancy car or started doing Coke or started buying jewelry. We always had our parties and drank beer and smoked pot and, and entertained our friends and laughed and swam and nothing ever changed. When so all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> After I left the Stern show, my my accountant said I did a nine eleven on my bank account. <laughs> but but I had never changed, so I, my lifestyle didn't change a bit. Except all of a sudden I wasn't getting up at the crack of dawn. You know, I mean I I didn't get to laugh as much, which is what that that really hurt because it didn't dawn on me how special that was. But you know it's. I'm sure I would have loved to have gone through life rich, but I didn't get to do that. You know, Nancy used to yell at me because after we got governors in the early 80s, and all of a sudden we're making, you know, thousands of dollars here and there. I'd open my wallet and I'd say, look at that. And I'd get excited because there were $100 bills in my wallet. And she said, will you knock it off? I said, Nancy, if you went through the first 38 years of your life, never seeing a $100 bill in your wallet, or, you know, unless you're going to, you know, pay off a, a big bill. I mean, like it's still to this day, if I open my, it, I smile because it makes me think of that story, but it was, you know, when it's a long time coming, it just tastes so good. It just feels so good. You know, it's, it's really nice. You know, I don't know. I don't know what we're talking about. I just got talking. I'm sorry. I fell asleep a couple <laughs> minutes ago. Yeah. What, what uh, were you saying? Uh, oh, no. no. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you, you're amazing. And like, I, I, was so inspired when I was in high school, when I started watch, like started listening to the show uh, because of my parents, they would turn it on in the mornings when they're getting ready for school and for work. And so I basically would just be like sitting at the kitchen table, having my Cheerios, getting ready for high school. I went to Catholic school my whole life. So I went Whoa. to all girls Catholic high school. And so I'd be listening to the Stern show um, I graduated in 99. So it was like late, the late through the late nineties, which inspired me to want to study media and communications and actually intern at the affiliate in Boston, uh, for this it's called a WBCN. WBCN. Really? Yeah. 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 And so it was oh, super wow. cool. I, um, Chachi Lepretti was my my boss and he's still a mentor of mine to this day. He writes me like letters of recommendation if I ever need them, you know, and it's oh, I, cool, you know, like it's a little like trippy for me to like talk to you today. And it's really cool. You so know, for I, having I, me. It was, uh, <laughs> that was great. I just last month, I just went up and did uh, four nights of shows with Lenny Clark, who's like the king of Boston. And, uh, I've always loved going up there, especially I liked going up there before 
it was a while before we got on the radio up there because they didn't want to get rid of Charles in the morning. And um, and then Billy West came to us from up there. That's where he started. And he's so brilliant. But Boston, that's a, that's a, a, a great town, a great comedy town. God, they totally. love so, so are you a, are you a, uh, a DJ or in the media business or? Um, I actually am in the booze business. I also, I, I was working in whiskey and rum most recently. Um, worked for the House of Doers for a bit, selling their single malt scotch whiskeys. That's what you and Dan yeah. was. In the, the in the booze? Or- Everybody I know is through booze except you, probably. Yeah. Jackie, Jackie, by the way, you're one of the few guests that we have on what we're drinking with Dan Dunn who doesn't actually drink alcohol anymore. Uh, we should have had coffee. Do you drink coffee? I, you know, I drank enough to to hold my own. I'm I'm still full from 19, what was it, 2001, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah I drink coffee. I, I drink, <clears throat> I drink anything, you know. You know, you know, people say that's so great. That's so great that you quit drinking. And I, and I say, I did not win. <laughs> I didn't win. You know, the, the analogy I make, is I, I don't know about you, I love a tuna fish sandwich with onion and nothing better. If I have a tuna fish sandwich for lunch, I'm in heaven. But I I might have one the next day, but I might not have another one for a month or I might not have one for six months. As much as I love it, I don't seek it out. That That would be winning. If I could go to dinner with you and have a glass of wine or even get drunk, and then just not do it the next day or not do it for a month. You know, those are the people that win. You know, anybody can lock the, you know, tie their arms to, the, uh, you know, tie their arms down and say, look at me, I'm not drinking. You know, yeah. I'd like to be able to do it, you know, here and there, you know. But Well, I think it, when we talk about that book that I was promoting, I believe that was my first book, which would have been around that time. And that book is called Nobody Likes a Quitter and Other Reasons to Avoid Rehab. Uh, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> right. which you've seen funnier that we were doing that yeah but um it's hey great. Great, uh, anybody yeah. that can anybody look i tell people all the time like if it gets to exactly to the point that jackie was saying is where you can't handle it you can't stop yourself from overindulging then you got to stop i always could handle it <clears throat> and it's funny there's so many stories because a, a very good friend of mine's mother uh, has she's retired but she had been an alcoholic alcohol council for like 40 years and at one point she said to me you know jackie we never discussed your drinking and i said well you know what i'll never know how bad a problem i had you know i knew i had to quit i knew for for a decade i knew i should quit but i never sat and watched the ball game and drank beer and i never sat and got drunk at dinner with my wife i might have one drink and I never got up in the morning and needed a drink. And all of a sudden, I see she's smiling. And I said, what's so funny? She said, anybody that describes their drinking and uses the word never has a problem. Because you're surrounding the wagon and telling them, you know, when you're not drinking, you know. And I said, listen, you've been awful lucky so far. Let's, let's use our heads and let's bail on this, you know. And, you know, and then amazing. It's like quitting cigarettes. Now, I know so many people who don't drink, you know, in the old days, you know, nobody stopped smoking, you know, like somebody stopped smoking. They were, they were the odd one out. You know, I never smoked, you know, luckily I masturbated. I got nothing going for me. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and on that note, so Jackie's documentary coming soon to a streaming service, possibly a theater near you. Uh, we don't know when he can't really make that announcement, but uh... we're hoping we're hoping January. It's called Joke Man, IKA Productions. It's going to be on a real, real, real lot of the streaming services. It's great. And, uh, I, I loved it. Una, what did you think of the documentary? I thought it was really insightful. I loved all the footage and just I learned a lot about you and your origin story. I love to hear about And yet that, you're so. still here after I'm all here? that stuff that you learned about Jackie. Ah, uh, so, um, oh, she's still here. Oh, yeah. I here. am. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I meant. Even even <laughs> no, learning I, all I, these I, things about you. I thought I thought you meant that I lived through it. You mean she lived through reading about it? Lived through. I live. We lived through the documentary, Jack. We made it. But but in all seriousness, man, just you know, I meet a lot of people in this business, and you're one of the good guys, and always have been. And it's great to see you first off, and to reconnect. And we're definitely going to reconnect when I'm in New York next time. Hopefully, have you on on the show. If we do a, we do our next live show at the stand, uh, I can right, get I'll you chase in. you down. I'll chase you guys down when I come to LA, which could be any minute. And, um, the pandemic slowed up. I also tell everybody on every podcast, <clears throat> I really do answer all my emails. So if somebody has got a question, it's jokeland at AOL.com. I don't want to hear the jokes about AOL. I don't care. <laughs> How did you know I was about to do <laughs> Wait, is AOL still I respect in that. J-O-K-E-L-A-N-D. J-O-K-E-L-A-N-D. At AOL.com. And, and is your MySpace page still going too? Or are you gonna- no, 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 no. I gave that to my grandfather. <laughs> but the, I really do still have AOL. I just never, <clears throat> I tried, G- I just don't like the way Gmail is set up. And I just, you know, it's yeah. it. I, I can't explain it. And AOL sucks. Don't get me wrong. It stinks, but but it stinks for me. You know? <laughs> well, everybody, uh, Jackie the Joke Man, thanks for joining us, brother. Well, I got to give you my pandemic joke. Okay, let's hear it. We'll close with this. So the whole pandemic, the wife watches TV. Nothing else to do. She watches TV day and night, all day, all night, watches TV. And one night her husband walks in and she's yelling at the TV screen. Don't do it. Don't go in that church. You idiot. You moron. Don't go in that church. He says, what are you watching? She says, our wedding video. (laughs) (laughs) And that seems like the appropriate place to end. That's going to do it for this episode of what we're drinking I want to thank Jackie the Joke Man Martling. Check him out. Follow him on the TikTok. He's TikToking like a madman. He's in his 70s. Come on. Uh, of course, I want to thank Una Green for being back on the show. Una, always a pleasure having you. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much for today. It was such a blast to talk to Jackie, and I really appreciate you being here. So we, we thank appreciate you. having you. Where, where can folks <laughs> find you on the, on the interwebs? Um, you can find me on Instagram. It's just my name at Una Green. Green like the color. Got it. Green like money. No e. <laughs> no e. e at the end. Just U N A G R E N. Gotcha. Green. Green. Yep. Follow Una, will you? Everybody, she wants to be followed. I do too. At the Imbiber Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, the the podcast has a, an Instagram called WWD underscore podcast. And people sometimes write me and give me grief that we don't do a lot on that Instagram. I don't know. I don't want to. 
I like posting yeah. on my own. If Are you po- on TikTok? No. I know. Me neither. I don't know if I'm going to ever do it. I feel like, well, Jackie's on it. We, we need to get I on know. that. We probably should get on it. Uh, <laughs> but as of right now, no. If you have any, uh, you want any questions, suggestions, you want to record a voice memo and have me talk about it on the show, you can send that to info at what we're drinking.com. You know, just record the voice memo, send it to that email and, uh, and then, uh, we'll get to it. I'll talk about it on the show next week. We got something, but I don't know who's on. What I do know is this was the 197th episode. We are only a couple of episodes away from our big 200th epi. Yeah. Give it up, everybody. Woo. Give it up. <laughs> so that's coming up. And uh, you do the math. We're at 197 a, now. 200. Three more. That's a big accomplishment. Thank you. Congrats. I might just yeah, drop was, the mic after that. Yeah. What was your first podcast? What was the first, well, the first, your first guest? Uh, hold on. Hmm. The first one on what we're drinking was Zane Lamprey. My old pal Zane Lamprey, host of Three Sheets, Drinking Made Easy. He was the first guest on this show, What We're Drinking. I've done other podcasts back in the day, but on this one, mm-hmm. and I don't know who's going to be on the 200th. It's a surprise. Surprise. Ooh. Maybe I'll get Zane. Oh, that's, that's a good idea. Anyway, yeah. Una, great talking to you. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and have a great rest of the time between now and the next podcast. All right. Bye.